This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Well, we're going to kick off the show with some true Canadiana. This is an amazing thing. We spoke with Mark Cullen, who is the Highway of Heroes Tree Campaign chair and co-founder, about two months ago. And we talked about what they were endeavoring to do along the Highway of Heroes with a tree campaign. And here we are, a day before Canada Day, and here is Mark Cullen joining us to update how things are going. Mark, how are you? Oh, Mark, having a little trouble hearing you. Sorry if I, I uh, cut you off there, but we'll fix that. Uh, there we go. Now I can hear you. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I can hear you now. Mike, you, for some reason, there was just a little white noise for a moment. But anyway, <laughs> I've got you. I heard you introduce me as the uh, volunteer chair of the Highway of Heroes Street Campaign. I missed your question. Well, I was just wondering how things were going for you. Oh, never better. Uh, this campaign has honestly, at 64 years old, been a highlight of my life. And I'm not saying it's the only highlight of my life, but it has been such a wonderful five years. Uh, and we, this spring, had a wonderful spring because in spite of COVID-19 and all the limitations, and some of the things you just talked about, we planted over 600,000 trees. This, this year. Now, let me let me just for the sake of listeners who maybe don't quite understand what we're doing, we're planting 117,000 trees on the Highway of Heroes between CFB Trenton and the coroner's office in Toronto. Uh, 117,000, one for each Canadian lost at war since the War of 1812. But we're also planting 1.8 million more, almost 2 million trees off the highway, uh, and that's to acknowledge the um, sacrifice and the unselfish nature of 1.8 million Canadians that have volunteered for service, military service, during times of war, including the Afghan conflict, of course, which is very recent in our history. So to plant 600,000 trees out of a little over 2 million trees being our goal, you can see by the math that this has been an extraordinary year for us. Absolutely. And you know what? This initiative is tremendous. And you look at how symbolic trees will be and, and how therapeutic trees can be. So many people will plant a tree in honor of the memory of someone to find a way to bring in everyone who has served this country and honor them. Where did the idea come from, Mark? <laughs> it came from a bunch of tree huggers, that, and myself included. I was leading a discussion with um, virtually all the not-for-profit uh, tree planting organizations that I could I could connect with, and there were 13 at the first meeting. Uh, and the idea was, what can we do to double the urban tree canopy in places like London, Ontario, or Toronto, or you name an urban center across the province, that's what we were interested in. And to be honest, we were spinning our wheels until Tony DiGiovanni put up his hand. He's the executive director of Landscape Ontario. That's our professional trade association. Lots of Landscape Ontario members in London. And you know what he said? He said, we just reforested the Veterans Memorial Parkway in London, Ontario. We did it in partnership with the city. If we can do that, then why don't we reforest the Highway of Heroes? Obviously a bigger endeavor, but why don't we do that? 
And I looked around the room and I said, that sounds like a good one to me. Who's in favor? And five people put up their hand. And those five organizations, including Forests Ontario, um, have remained faithful to our cause from the very beginning when we really had nothing. We had no money. We just had an idea. And now we have over $9 million from Canadians who have done exactly what you said. Many of them, some of your listeners, no doubt, have given us $150 for a tree. Uh, to plant on the Highway of Heroes, and we put the name of somebody that they want to recognize. Usually uh, somebody that had military service in their background, but not always. Maybe just a family member who really favors this idea. And we put them on our scroll of honor at hohtribute.ca. Um, and that's how the whole thing got rolling. And, and that, that I think I think that answers your question. You know what? Beautifully, and what a great story. Mark Cullen joining us, Highway of Heroes Tree Campaign Chair and Co-Founder. But as Mark says, this extends even beyond that Highway of Heroes area that begins at CFB Trenton, and it does touch our area too. So, Mark, you mentioned over 600,000 trees were planted. I think last time we talked, you were hoping about 500,000, so... Did the tree planters exceed their planting of trees? Well, they, the, 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 tree, the tree planters did. Uh, the people who are connecting with Canadians through Forest Ontario and our own staff, one particular member, April uh, Stevenson, who, who was extremely successful at reaching Canadian landowners who had a minimum of five acres that they were prepared to have reforested, and many of them, are on the stretch of highway, 30 kilometers either side of the 401 down near London, down in your neck of the woods, in the 519 region. And uh, uh, so 100,000 of our 600,000 trees were actually planted well west of Toronto. But nevertheless, they're just as significant as the ones we have right on the Highway of Heroes, in our view. Just remember this. Every tree we plant is going to clean the air. It's going to produce oxygen. So it's going to filter rainwater, or rather toxins, out of rainwater. And at the same time, it's going to be a living memorial to those people who served Canada's military during times of war. Couldn't ask for more. We're talking with Mark Cullen. And Mark, you mentioned kind of the local connection in lining Veterans Memorial Parkway. Can we give a a second shout-out to who that was that kind of got that going? (laughs) I'm so glad you did. Um... Yes, it's the Landscape Ontario members of uh, the chapter that represents London. Now, there's a chapter down there. When I say a chapter, you have to imagine our, our professional trade association has 2,500 members, and hundred, several hundred of them are from southwestern Ontario. And the chapter in Greater London uh, got together with the mayor of your city at the time, and this is going back probably seven years, maybe eight years now. And um, I don't know whether it was Landscape Ontario or the city itself that said, let's let's do something with this Veterans Memorial Parkway. It's just a ribbon of asphalt, after all. And not only did you plant trees down there, I say you, using sort of capital, capital Y, uh, the people, the citizens of, of London were largely responsible for making this happen through their Landscape Ontario members. Uh, you also put up these huge granite, I don't, 
you'd have to drive it to see and believe what they did. But these big granite signs using keywords that we use in um, describing what Canadians have done to earn our freedom here in Canada, words like honor and trust and sacrifice, carved in these huge granite stones that I'm going to say are 10, 12 feet high, as I recall. We've seen them, and you know what? It's it's pretty amazing to know that this is all interconnected. So, Mark, yeah. as we let you go, what's next in all of this? Well, what <laughs> what a great question. Um, of course, we still have over a million trees to plant. So our goal is to spend the next two years planting trees, telling our story, and thank you for the opportunity today to tell your listeners our story. I so much appreciate it. To encourage people to go to our website where they can learn more, H-O-H, as in Highway of Heroes, hohtribute.ca, and learn more, sign up for our free monthly newsletter, and by all means, please consider a donation. There's one thing I really want to say that's important here, Mike. The reason we've succeeded is because of Canadians, just like the people listening to your program today, people, Canadian citizens who came with $150, maybe less, maybe more, and they donated, and there are 3,500 of them that have donated to our campaign in the last five years, and they trusted us that we would do what we said we would do, and here we are on the cusp of success, two years away, I think, from planting our last tree, and that's going to be an extraordinary day. Wow. Well, Mark, again, thank you for the story. It's been a remarkable one and continued success in keeping it going. Happy Canada Day. Thank you for your support. Happy Canada Day to you, too, Mike. That is Mark Cullen, and Mark is a Highway of Heroes tree campaign chair. He's also the co-founder of all of this, and it has such a great local connection. We are going to take a break. Up next, we'll talk about how different newly formed students are kind of dealing with what they want to take. That's, uh, you know, if, if you think about it, new students to post-secondary, I guess. That's, that's the best way to say it. New students to post-secondary and what they are looking to take in school. We'll discuss it. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. Who would like to climb aboard a plane and just fly somewhere right now? There's a lot of hands. There's a lot of hands up. That would just be a nice break. Well, a lot of airlines are getting back to business, and along with that business comes certainly some alterations to some service, but also the attempt to create some airline passenger confidence, and that becomes a big key. So let's start talking about how this is all going to work out. Gary Vanderhoek is the Manager of Commercial Services and Passenger Experience with London International Airport. Gary, how is Tuesday going? Well, uh sun is shining, and uh, we actually have four flights today, so it's a good day. And normally four flights in a day wouldn't sound like that you know that big uh, schedule to handle but right now how does that sound to you after what the last couple of months have been like uh, definitely after the last 100 days of basically no flying at the airport it's uh, it's amazing to see a bit of a comeback to it it's about a quarter of what we used to see uh, we were up to 30 flights a day at one time 
Yeah, well, here's hoping that we can get back there. But in doing so, airlines have been talking a lot about how they're going to manage their business. And airports have then had to decide, okay, well, here's what we are going to do. What can you tell us about airline travel right now as we end the month of June in this very strange year of 2020? So uh, as of June 22nd at the airport, you know, we, we started a new program called the Flight Path to Recovery. It's a, it's basically a, a new program in this unknown time of COVID to regain some of that passenger confidence. And uh, so if you have to travel right now, you know, it's really something to make sure that when you do show up at the airport, the most recent protocols are put in place. And, uh, you know, we've put some measures in to, you know, reduce some of that, you know, mitigate some risk that you might be seeing at the airport, uh, you know, when seeing passengers. So, uh, you know, some simple things like, you know, we, right now we're only allowing passengers in the terminal as much as possible unless, you know, you have somebody with accessible needs or you have an unaccompanied minor. We're really trying to discourage anyone in the terminal unless they're flying. And anyone that does enter the terminal right now, they do have to put on a mask uh, just to reduce that, uh, you know, that risk in, in the terminal. It's, you know, we think most people can stay socially distanced, but as you start, you know, maneuvering through terminals and whatnot, you do get quite close with people. So, you know, we encourage that everyone wear their masks. Okay, so we have that end of it. We're talking with Gary Vanderhoek, who is the manager of commercial services and passenger experience with London International Airport. Gary, some things fit nicely within the pandemic. We always talk about sitting on a couch, a game of golf. Those can kind of translate into what we're supposed to do. Flying on an airplane has its challenges, especially when you consider in order to make a flight viable, you can't be just knocking this down to 10% capacity or 25% capacity. So what are you hearing from the airlines in that respect? Yeah, so up until recently, uh, uh, even this week, uh, the aircraft out of here are only allowed to be booked to half full. So they literally, there's one row of, of passengers and then a row of empty seats and a row of passengers and a row of empty seats. And, uh, you know, they're doing their best to keep the social distance uh, measures in place. But as you said, uh, it's almost impossible to run an airline at half full airplane. So uh, as of July the 1st, they're going to ease those restrictions on the aircraft. Uh, you know, they are doing things like temperature checks and whatnot when you check in. So the way you fly now is a lot different than it was, you know, say 100 days ago or so back in early March or late February. Do we know about the sanitization of the aircraft, if that's changing in any way? Absolutely, yeah. You know, just to give you a good example, we used to actually turn airplanes here in about 20 minutes in between flights. That's now been increased because airplanes are, are now being fogged. They're being dis disinfected after each and every flight, right down to, you know, the tables that you use. Other things like even serving food and beverage on the aircraft are no longer available. Uh, you know, they, they encourage you to bring your own bottle of water on board, uh, you know, that you can get past security. And, uh, you know, things have just have, have definitely changed. We are talking right now with Gary Vanderhoek, and Gary is the Manager of Commercial Services and Passenger Experience with London International Airport. So things have changed, but at the same time, if we follow these rules and do what we're being asked to do, Gary, what do you think passengers should know about flying as we move into kind of a, a different mode beginning July 1st? 
No, uh, you know, one piece of confidence they definitely need to uh, take into account is uh, the aircraft have uh, very strong air filters. There's a HEPA air filter on most of them, um, you know, where, where, yes, there's some movement of air on the aircraft, but it does filter the air better than what it would say normally in a confined space that, you you know, you'd see anywhere that you'd sit in a restaurant, let's say. It's a, it's a different experience when you're on the aircraft. Um, you know, it, it, again, the measures that have been taken across the nation, especially at, at uh, our airport in Toronto, everything's being cleaned down in between flights, bathrooms in between flights, you know, our staff have masks. You know, it's, it's really about building that confidence level up. And if you do have to travel, you know, we have your back. Excellent. Well, good to know. In terms of, of flights, we've seen Air Canada make some announcements on domestic flights here and there. How much change are we seeing kind of on a day-by-day, maybe even hour-by-hour basis? Well, you know, for us, we're fairly uh, happy. You know, we've been fairly lucky this month. You know, they started with a small schedule of two flights a day that started last week. And uh, the bookings were so strong, we're up to three flights a day with them starting July 1st. And uh, WestJet increased their service to four flights a week. Again, a far cry from where we used to be. But, you know, nice story is that the bookings are solid enough that people are uh, are starting to come back. It's it's like you said, you know, who wants to fly today? A lot of people want to put their hands up and uh, they do want to get going but, you know and if they do have to get going we you know we're definitely going to make sure that experience is is something that you know is an enjoyable one as best as possible gary thanks for taking us behind the scenes on this we really appreciate the time happy canada day uh, right back at you have a great day that's gary vanderhoek from london international airport where he's the manager of commercial services and passenger experience we are going to take our COVID break and in a way take a little break from the heat Because for the next few minutes, we are going to be talking about the Zamboni ice resurfacing machine. See, there are things that do so well, are so successful, that their brand name becomes the generic name. I mentioned Kleenex. Thanks to Dick. He emailed Mike at 980cfpl.ca. says uh, he's got two of them, Popsicle and Chapstick. Both are actual companies. Well, it happened with the Zamboni company as well, with the Zamboni ice resurfacing machine. And we are lucky enough to have with us, to close out the show, Paula Cooney, who is the brand manager with the Zamboni company, and Doug Peters, who is the regional sales manager. Paula, how's your day going? So far, so good. It's nice and sunny here in California. Yeah. Doug, what part of California are you guys in? We're in Southern California. Paul's up near the airport, and I live in a beautiful community called Whittier, California. Ooh, so are you guys, we, you know, this will be one of those questions that only a person from Canada can ask. Are you near the beach, either of you? I am. I'm about a mile and a half from the beach, but I definitely won't be going there this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Beaches are a whole lot different now than than what they used to be, and I'm I'm happy to hear that. I hope things turn a little bit better, given the number of cases that we're seeing in California. I hope that continues to improve. But we get to talk about the Zamboni ice resurfacing machine and the Zamboni company, which has made its brand so big that it actually takes over the generic name most of the time. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But maybe what we could do is start off talking a little bit about how all of this began. Go right back to the beginning of Frank Zamboni's work to design the first ice resurfacing machine. How far back, Doug, do we have to go? 
You go back to about uh, 1949. The company has been in business since then, and maybe a few years before that. And Paula might be able to give the exact details on uh, the start of things. But uh, Frank had an ice rink and needed a machine to clean the ice quicker than what it took uh, several people with hoses, squeegees, and shovels to do. So he came up with a machine. And Paula, yeah, that's something yeah. that, that kind of changes the world right there. If you think about how long it would be if we had to still have hoses and shovels and brooms and whatever yeah. else was being used, it, it, it wouldn't work. Hockey wouldn't work. Well, uh, Frank, you know, he owned an ice rink with his uh, brother and a cousin. They built that rink in 1939, opened it in 1940. And after a few years, he was pretty much sick of the whole manual resurfacing of the ice. And he saw, you know, if it's going to take an hour and a half to resurface, I'm losing time and I'm losing money. And he had laborers that he had to have go out and take care of that process. So he was a natural tinkerer, grew up around farm equipment, and he uh, put his mind to it and started and failed a few times, but in... uh, the summer of 1949, he got uh, a working reality of a prototype together, and he filed for a, a trademark, and he um, actually filed for a patent and then later trademarked uh, the brand name. So he had a patent on the machine for the first 17 years. That machine, the Model A, has been fully restored, and it's on display in Paramount at the facility where it was uh, originally um, used for a few years. And Paula, sometimes when things are first created, thought of, invented, patented even, sometimes they look a lot different than what they look like years later. How about a Zamboni ice resurfacing machine? How close does that Model A look to what we are used to right now? It looks like a giant wooden wagon. Um, It has all kinds of crazy stuff on it. It's got some uh, Douglas landing gear, a lot of like post-World War II uh, equipment, things he could find, railroad ties. There's a what looks like a tractor seat and maybe a bus steering wheel, and he just put those things together and felt comfortable and confident that he had something that made a good sheet of ice. But the relativity to today's product is that it's still doing the basic functions. It had, you know, a sharp blade and a good down pressure from the conditioner. It was um, putting down some wash water and vacuuming that up. It was picking up the snow and laying down fresh water behind it to create that smooth sheet of ice in about 15 minutes' time, which versus that hour and a half of manual labor that he had going on before, it was quite a change. Man, you think of all the intricate steps to what an ice resurfacing machine does as it makes its way around. We're talking with Paula Cooney, brand manager of Zamboni Company, and Doug Peters, who is the regional sales manager. And maybe something we can get into is just the fact that, and we just had Kathy email in, all cola is called Coke. Yeah, yeah, those things kind of take over. But the Zamboni brand and how now we don't really even know the term, Doug, ice resurfacing machine. It's hard to say almost. Everything just gets called a Zamboni. It does, and it's something that uh, we fight uh, very hard. Paul is very good at uh, doing her job to make sure that people use the uh, brand name properly. Um, It's something I grew up in Minnesota and surprised me when I would go back for high school reunions how many people didn't realize uh, what I did, who I worked for, uh, and where the machines were built. And we're fortunate that we also have a plant uh, up near you in Brantford, and 
Uh, that came about in the 80s. But uh, everything started in California, and sometimes the Canadians don't like to hear that uh, because <laughs> hockey is so near and dear to them in Canada. Well, the way that the Zamboni ice resurfacing machine has been able to change how quickly we can play a game of hockey. I mean, we're down to eh, somewhere between two and three hours, depending on what goes on. If we had to either, you know, not flood the ice or wait for the hour and a half, we'd be pushing, Paula, we'd be pushing five hours. So thank you for that. But talk to us a little bit about that, that brand challenge that you deal with so often with regard to a Zamboni resurfacing machine. Sure. Well, um, one of the things that uh, Frank's son, Richard, who is our president in uh, California, and he's, I think, turning 88 this month. He's going to scream at me for yelling that out loud. Um, (laughs) He mentioned to me that, you know, it's really a great thing to be well-known, but it's not good to be generic. So we're not generic. And while in the minds of certain folks in the public, we may be synonymous with the generic product phrase, Samboni is a well-protected brand, and we don't see ourselves going the way of Escalator or Zipper or in that direction. Um, We've done course corrections in the past uh, and work with the media really closely. We spend a lot of time and effort making sure that we're visible out there with social media and going to different trade show events and public events, promoting and and helping to uh, let folks know that it is a resurfacer or a machine, whatever they want to call it. But the Samboni is the brand name. There are other people that make um, ice resurfacing machines, and we thank you for not knowing any of their names out loud, but um, it's always good to be out there with folks and help give them a little bit more insight so that they understand that Zamboni is always used as an adjective and not as a noun or in a plural sense, and while there may be missteps here and there, uh, for the most part, we get a lot of uh, support on that. We'll even see people correcting other people on social media. It's kind of fun. Uh, we're talking with Paula Cooney, brand manager of the Zamboni Company, and Doug Peters, regional sales manager. Doug, what's it been like to work for the Zamboni Company? It's been awesome. Uh, I, I try to joke with people on the radio um, that host programs like this, but I went to school for radio broadcasting, and now I sell Zamboni ice resurfacers. So I'm finally getting to put some of my schooling to work with this. But um, I've been with Zamboni since 1987. Prior to that, I worked for my father, who was one of our distributors. He worked for the Minnesota North Stars, and that's how he got his introduction to Zamboni Machines and the Zamboni Company. And I've been very fortunate. The family has treated me very kindly uh, over all my years. I've been lucky to go see the Olympics in 2002, traveled all over the world. And it's just it's, it's nice when you get up every day going to a job that you enjoy as opposed to a job that you dread. And just some of the places that, yeah, you've been able to go. So give us some of those games that you've been at. Uh, You obviously pay very close attention to flooding the ice, but uh, the other things that are going on, what have you been able to see? Well, it's funny. When I go to an ice rink and I watch uh, our machines in action, it's a lot of fun at community rinks to have some parent telling their child who's watching the machine and fascinated with it just how it's working. And I've heard that there's flames underneath the machine that melt the ice, uh, that they, you know, there's that auger that's spinning around, that that's shaving the ice when in fact it's not, it's picking up the snow. Uh, It's just a, it's a different thing, the fascination that people have with our product. And we greatly appreciate that. Charles Schultz uh, talked about it uh, in his comic strips, peanuts uh, on several occasions. And, Uh, We're all blessed to be a part of this great company and great family. Well, it's been great speaking with you. Now, which Olympics, Doug, were you at? 
I was at the 2002 Olympics. I actually got to uh, catch a puck, which was interesting. That's tucked away here. It was the game-winning goal uh, that the USA team uh, had against Russia. They didn't change the pucks like they do in NHL games, so I'm very fond of that uh, memento. Uh, I was disappointed with the outcome, which the Canadians probably weren't. We do think that it had to do with a loony that was tucked into the ice at center ice uh, that caused the Canadians to win that game. But I uh, got to see that. It was at the Stanley Cup final. All my life I waited to see a finals game uh, and see a team that I was rooting for win the Cup, and I had to move to California to see the Ducks beat Ottawa uh, in 2007 uh, to win the Cup. So, um, And I've been blessed to be in uh, other buildings, uh, Madison Square Gardens, the old Boston Garden, uh, the new Boston Garden, Chicago Stadium, the United Center, uh, and then spent a lot of years as a kid growing up in the Met Center where the North Stars used to play. So um, it's it's been great. I've got to see a lot of things, been very fascinated uh, with how people react to our product. Well, thank you again for your product and for what Frank Zamboni created years ago. And uh, Paula and Doug, please stay safe in California. Hopefully you get to enjoy the sunshine, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thanks so much for the time. Hey, Mike, have a nice day. (laughs) That's amazing. Paula, thank you for that. Thank you for having us on, Mike. It was a pleasure. Take care. That's Doug Peters, regional sales manager, and Paula Cooney, brand manager with the Zamboni Company. Remember, everything you see is not necessarily a Zamboni ice resurfacing machine, but Frank Zamboni made it possible for all of us to enjoy skating a whole lot more and enjoy hockey games a whole lot more, and for kids to be drawn in. I mean, what is one of the first things that little kids at a hockey game will notice? Even before the hockey sinks in, it's, hey, what, what's that thing doing? And sure enough, they watch it go round and round. You get kids waiting for the hockey to be over so that the ice resurfacing machine can come out and do its work. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.